I'm so glad to see all of you made it to this conference, which was a long time coming. I know some will join us tomorrow, but I'm looking forward not only to share the message of this conference, but also have prayer time and fellowship with you guys. Looking back from last year, I know most of us went through a period of rough time. Many we know, and even our church members took sudden sickness, and some of them are still going through it as I speak. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous avails much, especially when it's offered with the unity of the church. And that's what we believe and we stand with those who are going through any kind of sickness. In the same time period, some of the families experienced passing of a member of their family, a loved one. That's always a difficult thing to go through and digest. But as believers, we have one consolation. If they're believers in Christ, one day we will see them. As for me, during this time, speaking from last year, from June all the way to the end of December, I worked every weekend. Meanwhile, I've been preparing the message for this conference we were supposed to have in beginning of this year in March. Just to concentrate was quite challenging when everything else was happening all around us. But I praise the Lord. Here we are. After all that, I believe what the Word says. All things happen for the good of them who love God and are called according to His purpose. I know there was a purpose behind all that happened, especially the cancellation of this first date that we had in March. Having said that, just on the lighter side, this is a true story. A husband and wife, believers in Christ, went to church every Sunday, taking their three boys with them. The range of boys' age was from 8 to 12 years old. So one day, as they were coming out of the church main hall into the hallway, one of the boys noticed on the bulletin board names of many people on the board. He asked, Dad, who are these people? He said, these are men and women who died during their service. And one of the boys said, Dad, did they die at a 9 o'clock service or 11 o'clock service? <laughs> Obviously, the boys were bored in the church. So if you find yourself bored in these meetings, don't look it, please, okay? All right. Let's begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for today and this weekend that we all have this time together. Lord, not only being in your presence, according to your word that you said, wherever your people come together in your name, you are among them. That's the purpose we are here, Lord, to be in your presence and to hear your word according to your will, which is already settled in heaven. We bless you and we thank you, Lord. We pray your blessing, anointing be upon this weekend, Lord. All the sessions, everybody, as they, they come and go, Lord, we are always thankful that you are speaking to us and continuing speaking to us for all these decades, Lord. And we are so privileged to be in a position that you speak to us, Lord. And that's the reason we are come together, Lord. In the unity of the church, all the prayers that went up just for this reason, for your will be done among us as your people, Lord. And I bind every distraction that can come from the enemy in Jesus' name. I bind anything that will distract or cause any confusion in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for the authority that you have given to the church. Whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. As you know, the theme of this conference is sonship. 
It is adoption as sons or adoption to sonship. Here's the verse. First one is from Ephesians 1.5. This is in the New King James Version. It says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to good pleasure of his will. Same verse in NIV. This is how it says it. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. So it's the same New Testament Greek word. King James Version translated adoption as sons. And NIV says adoption to sonship. It's the same word, same meaning, translated differently. In this weekend, we will look at the subject more closely as we look at the portion of Abraham's life. And to speak some of the terminologies of phrases that is very common in our language, in our church, just to make sure that we are on the same page in understanding of it. This evening, I will only share an introduction to the theme of this conference, and towards the end, I'll have some encouraging words and reading some scriptures for you. Having said that, beginning with Abraham, this is where all began. God literally launched his eternal plan and purpose with this man, Abraham. His purpose was to begin with a new heavenly people on the basis of sonship. Abraham was the first of a new race of heavenly people. God said to him in Genesis 22:18, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And that was fulfilled through his son Isaac, a people of heavenly nature in terms of sonship. God's intention and purpose was to have a race of heavenly people who are his sons. And there is nothing greater in all God's revelation that he would make us his sons. Just the idea that become sons of God is just mind-boggling. If you ask me what is sonship at this point, in the simplest way I can say it would be sonship is a relationship of a son to his father. I looked up the dictionary to see what it says about sonship. The Webster Dictionary says sonship is the relationship of the son to father. The Cambridge Dictionary says the position of a being a son. Both of them, these two dictionaries, they say this is a biblical word. In other words, it's not a common word used among people. It's just a biblical word. Of course, the meaning of it in the Bible is a lot different than what just this says, but that's where we begin. In the New Testament, the word sonship is related to four important things. First one, sonship is related to the word adoption. In our understanding of adoption is simply to place a child, an outsider, in a family, to raise them as their own. In the Old Testament, we had the same understanding of the adoption. God says you can adopt any child you want. But he added one rule. He said, first of all, he said, with your own children, natural children, if they become worthless, they don't listen to you and become idle, God says you can cut them off from their inheritance. Be it the firstborn. You can cut them off from their inheritance if they don't listen to you. But with the adopted child, you cannot do that, he says. He said, you chose them. Which always gave me the notion, our natural children, it's a gift from him. When we wanted a child, let's say, we didn't ask for that specific child, let's say for us, Tiffany or Melanie. But God gave them to us. And if you're born again, the natural children come with a responsibility, and that responsibility is to raise them with God's word. In Roman time, which is the biblical New Testament time, the adoption is a totally different thing. 
the inheritance of a family did not go to their children automatically. Instead, when a father saw one of his sons grew to maturity and over time showed that he was responsible for the family estate, then that father, in a ceremony called adoption as sons, this is the exact word the New Testament uses, in a ceremony called adoption as sons, he would adopt his own son and he would give him a ring, which was a token of his authority. Wherever he went after that, he would go representing his father. That ceremony made it legal for that son to become the heir of the family. If he didn't have any son, he could adopt one, often a nephew. If he didn't have a nephew, he could adopt any stranger. Stranger, I'm saying, somebody he knows, but it's not blood-related. Provided that the adoptee was, again, loyal and over time proved he was able to take over the family estate when the patriarch of the family died. Now, the New Testament understanding of the word adoption is almost identically with Roman adoption, with one exceptional difference. God always begins with his own children, born again. He never starts with an outsider. The Roman adoption allowed a nephew or even a stranger to be adopted, but not God. He always begins with his own children, born again. From the time you're born again, the process of adoption begins. Here's some of the verses that I want to read for you. This first one is from Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, But as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Sonship begins when you are born again and with the new spirit, which is compatible with God, because God is the spirit. From then on, you are part of the family as his children, at which point the process of adoption can begin. Here are some more verses in the New Testament, all related to sonship and adoption. Romans 8, from verse 14 it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from its bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. The next verse is from Galatians 4, verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. I'm reading all the verses from the New Testament that has the adoption as sons to get you familiar with these verses. Verse 6, and because you are sons, pay attention with the word sons all the time. 
Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Praise the Lord. Our sonship begins from the time we are born again, and it will take our whole life here on earth. Now, that's the first thing. Sonship is related to the word adoption. Second thing, sonship is always related to resurrection. Romans 8.23, Paul says, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. This verse tells us that the adoption will not take place in this lifetime or in this age, according to Paul. That's what we're waiting for. So it will happen in the next age. Philippians 3.1, this is NIV. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. After his resurrection, our Lord Jesus never manifested himself personally to the world. The resurrection means that he had passed out from the world and he has been standing outside of it since then. Resurrection life means that we are outside the world, spiritually in a superior position, which enables us to live here on earth, but not be touched by death which is all around us. The power of death has been cancelled by the power of our Lord's resurrection. The condemnation has been removed. This is Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So far, sonship was related to the word adoption. Sonship always relates to resurrection. The third one, adoption as sons is a corporate matter. We reach adoption as we grow to sonship, though that is the way personally and must be that in its application, but the adoption is a matter of election. The church is in the view, not the individuals. It is the church which is the elect body, not the individuals. It is the church which is elect son, the elect son, not the individuals. Do you remember when God was bringing his people from Egypt? He said to Pharaoh, let my son go. Who was he talking about? He was talking about the nation of Israel. Even though at that time in Egypt, they were not yet constituted as God's people. They were constituted as God's people during the Passover evening, only through the blood of the lamb. From then on, they became constituted as God's people. But even then, he says, let my son go. So the election is the church, not the individuals. It is the church who is predestined to be adopted as sons, not the individuals. In other words, what I'm saying is simply this. God did not choose me or he did not point it at me and predestined me to be adopted as sons one day. He chose the church to be predestined for adoption as sons. Now that I am in Christ, all that predestination will work for me. There's a great deal of confusion about this predestination among Christians. There are groups that they're saying, if you're supposed to be saved, you'll be saved. That's predestination in their mind. That's how they see it. But that's totally wrong. God chose the church and predestined the church to be adopted to sonship, not the individuals. That should tell you how important, first of all, 
you're being born again from above. At the same time, the life that we live as the body together in our spiritual journey. Here's Ephesians 1.5. Apostle Paul says, having predestined us to adoption as sons. Always us, or even it says you, he's talking about the church. You know, in English, you don't see that. We don't understand it. But in Greek, when he says you, he's always plural. He's talking to the church. And here, us, he means the church. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The enemy will always come very aggressively against spiritual progress to adoption. When the corporate sons come to throne, Satan will lose his everything. He will lose his throne. He will lose his position ruling this earth. He knows that. That's why he will always come aggressively against the people of God. For them not to see the adoption or the process of adoption in their spiritual life. Ephesians 1.5. In chapter 1 verse 17 he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint? This is a prayer against the enemy and to nullify his work. For the church to receive the light concerning the church's nature, calling and destiny. No wonder that very few Christians know and understand their higher calling. This is not an option we see in the New Testament. But this is something which is directly involved with the very purpose of God and the undoing of all satanic work. Romans 8 tells us that the whole creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. All right, fourth, sonship is related to our inheritance. We have an inheritance which will be realized when we reach adoption as sons. That's when we get to our inheritance. Now the point is, Ephesians 1.13 again, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. The work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us to the knowledge of the Lord, making the Lord to be everything to us by experience. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the knowledge of the Lord is our inheritance. Every experience we go through in life brings us to know Him. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and we come to a knowledge of Him. We come to our inheritance. It is in this life that we must know Him in order to reach adoption in the next age. In the Old Testament sense, God wants us to cross the Jordan into the land now and to know that He has guaranteed our inheritance now. The promised land is our Lord Jesus. When Israel left Egypt, they expected to enter the land immediately and come to their inheritance. They had their eyes on the land and everything else that God promised them in the promised land. But they needed to know the Lord first. The 40 years of wilderness experience was to bring them to the knowledge of the Lord. The Lord Jesus is our inheritance and this is something for us to see and not look anywhere else for our inheritance or a blessing or this or that. One day as I went out for walking, I was listening to the book of Genesis. It was at the portion when Isaac was about to bless Esau. If you know the story, 
Isaac blessed Jacob, thinking that he was Esau. And then afterwards, Esau came, and they both realized that Jacob got their blessing. But this is the verse 38 that just popped at me when I was listening to it. And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. I mean, these words that Esau was saying, You just have one blessing? Any blessing for me? He was thinking about just the way we think about our inheritance. If a family has an inheritance to pass on, they usually divide it among their children. But he didn't realize that this blessing was spiritual and it was God who was bringing this blessing to the next generation. God was about to hand down what came from Abraham, came down to Isaac. Now he was supposed to go the next generation. Esau, by birth, was the next in line. But God bypassed him because he sold his birthright. You remember the story, right? And after that, it's one of the saddest statements in the Bible. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. See what he missed. Earlier I said, sonship began with Abraham. What God said, Genesis 22:18. I read it earlier. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And that was fulfilled through his son Isaac, a people of heavenly nature in terms of sonship. Here's the line. Here's the genealogy of our Lord Jesus when we read in the New Testament. You go back to Abraham. You go from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac is where sonship began with Abraham. So you have Isaac, a miracle child, virtually raised from the dead. You go all the way to Jesus, a miracle child, literally raised from the dead. These two ends are the line of the heavenly people that God wanted in terms of sonship. You have Isaac in terms of sonship. You have Jesus in the New Testament in the terms of sonship. And anything in between, it was up to them to either be in this heavenly line of people as sonship or to be physical descendants of Abraham. You go through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way to David, from David, all kinds of kings, all the way to Jesus himself. There were few good kings, but a great number of evil kings. Everybody in between these two had the chance, whether be part of this heavenly race or being the physical descendants of Abraham. That's what Esau missed, which was his by birth, if he cared for his birthright. What he missed was sonship. What he missed was adoption to sons, being part of this heavenly race, a new heavenly race of people that are called his sons. That's what Esau missed. You remember this verse from Hebrews 2.1, which says, we must give more earnest heed, that's attention, we must give more earnest attention to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. In the case of Esau, he wasn't just drifted away. It's more like he jumped out of a cliff. That was his choice. We must be aggressive just like Jacob, his brother. Aggressively go forward, get the blessing, even though he wasn't the firstborn. That's the aggressive attitude God wants among his people. Well, everything I said so far, it was just an introduction to the theme of this conference. I just wanted to read all the verses in the New Testament that is related to sonship and adoption to sons or adoption uh, to sonship. It may sound very complicated to some of you, I know, but that's the purpose of this conference. 
part of my prayer is at the end of this conference, all of you will have a better and a clear understanding of what sonship means and also to come to see the serious nature of adoption as sons, which God had in his mind from eons of time in the past eternity to have a race of people called his sons. I can't even wrap my head around that when I think about it. Such a possibility as this, that body of Christ can be called sons of God. Of course, I will talk about this later in the sessions. Earlier I said, or rather in the beginning I said, I will have some words of encouragement. This is not just for the conference, but it will also be beneficial for your spiritual life in our daily life. There's two sets of scriptures. One is from Galatians. Galatians 3, it says, verse 26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave or free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Second set of verses is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as of the heavenly man, so you also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of God, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. This few verses that I read from 1 Corinthians all I wanted to remind you that Paul calls our Lord Jesus the heavenly man. What Paul says in Galatians, all of us are on the same ground. It doesn't matter what background we come from. There's Jews, there's male, female, Gentiles, barbarian, what have you. What it means is simply this. Let's say if a Jewish person wants to be saved today, he has to stand before God as a man, not as a Jew. Because God has rejected the religious world of the Jews. The only world they know is their religious world, and that's the ground they're standing. But God is saying, if this was a conversation, God is saying, in order for you to be saved, you have to forsake your ground. Stand before me as a man. I have provided a heavenly man for you. You can be saved on his ground. That is the only ground that God will ever accept is the ground of our Lord Jesus. So whatever ground we come from, a Jew from the Jewish background, he has to forsake that background and come on the ground of the heavenly man. In the same way, any other religion. In this last 40-some years, I've had many times that I've witnessed to nominal Christians from religious Orthodox churches, or apostolic churches. I've had the chance to share the gospel with them. And after sharing the gospel, I usually tell them, going to the churches, you don't learn anything. All they do is just ceremonies. And even if they teach you anything, it doesn't get you anywhere. It will not take you to the truth. But this is the reply of some of them that they tell me. Going to that church, sitting there and praying gives me comfort. Lighting a candle gives me comfort. You see, that's the religious ground that they're from. For that person to be saved, he or she has to forsake that ground because God rejected every other ground, whether it's good or bad, whether it's Old Testament or has the name Christianity, God has rejected it. 
So if you want to be saved, you have to forsake whatever the ground you're from and come on the ground of the heavenly man. Now, if you understand this, you can apply it in your daily life. There are so many times that I said, Lord, this is when you stand before God. When do we stand before God as believers? In our prayers. We go to his presence and we pray. We stand before the Lord. There's so many times that I said, Lord, I'm so weak in this area. What would God tell me? He would say to me, forsake the ground of weakness that you're standing. Come on the ground of my son that I have provided for you. And he will be for you, your strength. See, deep down, when you're praying this prayer, deep down you want the Lord to come down to your level, take your hand, and jumpstart you on the heavenly ground. That's what we want, for the Lord to do something. But here's the thing, the Lord will never come down to my level of weakness. He has given you faith. We are Abraham's seed. That's what the Bible says. You have the faith. God has given you faith. It makes no difference what measure of faith is given. God wants you to come on the ground of his son. If you're weak, he will be strength for you. There were so many times that I said, Lord, I'm so stupid. The Lord was like, what else is new? (laughs) Something happened and I wasn't aware of it. And I thought I should have be aware of it as a believer. Maybe deep down in my heart, I expected the Lord to show me if this is going to happen to me or not. Whether it's right or wrong, this is something else. Again, the Lord is not going to come down to the level of my stupidity, but he wants us to go on the ground of the, his son, the heavenly man that he has provided You may say, Lord, I'm so afraid of this and that. It happens. People live in fear. I've said this so many times. Even the animals live in fear. They can't even eat without looking around to see who's watching, who's not. Everybody's living in fear. But here's what the Lord says. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I say, hallelujah. You see, ever since I realized all this, I understood that what Paul is saying, in Christ there is no Jew, nor Gentiles, Greek, or barbarian, male or female. Taking that understanding and bringing it to the level of your spiritual life, down to your daily life, ever since I saw that, I have a better hope in changing in my ways. Whether it's weakness here, or stupidity there, or something, I have a greater hope now than I ever had in seeing this. And that's the reason I'm sharing it with you, that God has given you faith. It makes no difference how much it is. Every single one of you are capable of coming on the ground of our Lord Jesus, the heavenly man that God has provided, because he has provided that faith for you. That means you are able to do it. It takes faith, and that's the characteristics we take from Abraham, our father, being his seed. It is so easy to sit down in our weaknesses and nurse ourselves, but the Lord says, arise and possess. Your inheritance is not here on earth. It is in Christ, in the heavenlies, not in yourself. Your fullness is in him. Amen? You see, in the Old Testament, it was different. God had to do something, provide a ground for the people that he was working with. 
Here's what I have from Isaiah 6. This is call of Isaiah. Isaiah saw the vision of the Lord. He saw God sitting on his throne, great majesty and all the things that he saw. And that whole vision caused him to say this. This is Isaiah 6, 5. He said, so I said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my lips with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Right after this, God said, Who will go for us? Isaiah said, Send me, I'll go. You see, the first reaction when he saw God in his vision, he said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He knew he can't stand before God and live. Nobody could. In order to do something temporary for Isaiah, that's what the seraphim did. He's an angel. He took a life call from the altar and brought and touched his lips. He said, see, I took your iniquity away. These things had to be done in the Old Testament, but in New Testament, you're in Christ. There's nothing like this is necessary. You're already going in your prayers, standing at the presence of God. You're standing before God, and there's an expectation from Him for us to live by faith. That's part of understanding of being spiritual descendants of Abraham. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Jesus is your inheritance as typified to Israel by the land flowing with milk and honey. I love that verse in the Old Testament when it talks about the promised land. Always says a land flowing with milk and honey. Came to realize our Lord Jesus is the land flowing with milk and honey. Hallelujah. Just as God said to Abraham, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Hallelujah. I'll stop here. Tomorrow we have four sessions to go. Praise the Lord. I'm so excited to share the rest of it with you. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. I bless your name and I thank you that you always open our eyes to see and understand. We thank you for your word, your eternal word. As it says, when you said it, it's always settled in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless you and we thank you. Not only you feed us daily our physical food, but you also feed us spiritually, Lord. And I am grateful, Lord, that I can be a part of this conference, sharing your word with your people. My prayer is that you will multiply your word for everyone so they can have a greater and a deeper understanding in their hearts as their eyes are opened by you, Lord, and their ears are opened by you. It is your work and the work of the Holy Spirit. We all believe this and we crave it, Lord. We say, yes, Lord, go ahead and provide all that, Lord, as much as you want. We are here to receive, Lord. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus, we thank you and we bless you. Amen.